Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website and Alexa or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Precision Air knows you want the air inside your home as safe and clean as possible. Clean the air in your home with an affordable UV system, reducing microorganisms including bacteria, viruses, and allergens. Call Precision Air, 615-930-0088. That's 615-930-0088. Hey, everybody. Evan Lee Raymer here with you with the Evan Lee Raymer Show. I want you to tune in with us every Sunday night from 8 until 10. We'll talk about some politics, some local politics, national politics, and a little bit of everything. That's the Evan Lee Raymer Show with you every Sunday night from 8 till 10. COVID-19 has changed our world. And First National Bank of Murfreesboro is here to help you. During these uncertain times, it's good to have a friend to walk with you and help with financial guidance. First National Bank of Murfreesboro is here to help you with free text banking, bill paying, mobile deposits, and more. I'm Shelly Rigsby, manager of First National Bank of Murfreesboro. And I'm Amanda Gentry. Now a part of the Capstar Bank family, member FDIC. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's place to talk. Right now the time, 828. You're tuned in to WGNS. Dr. Heather Brown with us today from MTSU and you're part of the School of Concrete at MTSU. That's right. And that is a fairly new program compared to the age of the university, of course, but it was started how many years ago? So we are turning 25 next year. We're pretty wow. exciting. So we had a small residential construction management program that existed at MTSU first, and then the concrete program came in guns blazing, and uh, it's been a wonderful ride. I've been there. This is my 20th year, so it's been it's been a very rewarding career, and we're just seeing so many alumni uh, success and that just keeps the program really thriving. So what is this I hear about MTSU and race cars, Indy I know, cars? What, I know. What's going on? So we're pretty excited about this partnership. This has been about three or four years in the making. Nashville's been trying to get a streetcar race. Uh, IndyCar has been visiting, trying to determine if we're the right city. And the press conference was last week, and it really just uh, is the right time to have a streetcar race in Nashville. So Indy reached out to us uh, primarily because we have to build the racetrack, and it's primarily going to be made out of concrete barrier wall. We have to build a pit lane for the 25 race cars, all in and around Nissan Stadium. This should be pretty cool. It's going to be great. But now it's going to be around Nissan Stadium. So how is that going to work? So they're going to take over much of the Nissan landscape. Nissan is a host. Um, and then they're going to run northwest across uh, Korean Veterans Memorial Bridge, which is a first for streetcar. This is the only streetcar race that will be over open water. So the race car drivers are really excited about that. TDOT engineers have already been out and, and confirmed they're bridge is going to be great so it's not any concern but we're going to run northwest to stay away from the city the idea is that people can both be in the city walking around and not be impacted by the race and then enjoy the race just you know going over the bridge and watching it so i think it's going to be exciting it's a two mile track you know they, they've had these types of races for years in places like italy and tokyo but this is going to be a, a first in tennessee it is and it is going to involve a full slate of you know foreign drivers uh what's wonderful about this is the reigning indycar champion is from nashville 
That's pretty wild. It's really great. So he was at the press conference last week. He's so excited. He's inventoried all his drivers, and they're just ready to come to Nashville. So these are going to be Indy cars literally driving on the streets of Nashville. That's correct. How, how many miles again? Two miles, 2.2. Okay, so mm-hmm. this is going to be... Uh, some pretty fast-paced mileage in a fairly short distance. It really will be. They're, they'll get up to 200 mile an hour. And, uh, I mean, just the, the streetcar <clears throat> attraction, really, for fans is you're going to be right down there with the cars. It's going to so be the experience, like crazy. It will. It will. You're just going to feel it. I mean, yeah. And that's that's really what the sentiment is, is now we've got Music City hosting a new sound. Yeah. And uh, they really, really played that up last week. It was exciting to be a part of it. So uh, tell us how exactly the MTSU School of Concrete is going to play a role. I mean, because you're talking about the concrete barriers and things like that. What exactly is MTSU doing with this? So this barrier wall actually comes out of Europe. And each track that assigns themselves to to build a a track has to rely on European technology. Well, we do not have a precaster that was currently capable of making these barrier walls. So we're going to help mastermind the mix design. Uh, they've been interviewing precast companies over the summer, and we're going to announce here in a couple of weeks the precast company that will take on this job, and we will work with them on the recipe, essentially. Uh, traditionally, it's been a pretty simple recipe, concretes, cement, water, sand, rock. But we're going to take it a step further, and we're going to create a mix that is environmentally conscious. So we're going to use recycled materials in our barrier wall. And this is a pretty big deal because it's that barrier wall that keeps indie cars from crashing into the audience and and you know literally leaving the roadway that's right so we're not gonna um you know put safety at risk it still will be the right density the right weight because you want to make sure those things don't move under impact but the idea is that environmentally conscious mixes have been around for a long time now so we're just basically taking current technology that already the dot uses uh, federal highways airports uh, proven seasoned mixes that local producers and local precasters can work with. So do you foresee this, I don't know, reaching the the construction industry here? I mean, this this mix that you're working on that's environmentally friendly, I mean, what, what's going to happen with it after after the race? Well, actually, it ended up being a pretty exciting conversation with Roger Penske himself. I was able to present our ideas to him about a month ago, and he pulled me aside after the meeting and said, we need you to help Penske Racing, and we need you to take this mix design on the road. So once we are able to have this race next year, um, I may become a consultant for IndyCar, and we may look at other barriers at at other locations. So what what kind of car was he driving? I'm curious. He came in by plane, personal plane. Yeah, but he was was a gracious uh, guest and and really enjoyed, I think, talking about concrete. And we are going to be making some improvements to the Nissan Stadium with their paving. We're going to be doing a few asphalt repairs. Um, we're going to be doing a few um, areas where they just need to improve the grade to make sure that you know everything's going to be safe. So when, again, is this race actually going to be held? August 6th through the 8th is the festival. So the race on the 8th. But they're going to have a lot of concerts and food festivals leading up to actual race day. So is the whole area, the whole two miles going to be, you know, I don't know, marked off so people have to pay a ticket to get in? Or how does that that portion of it work? Right. So they did reveal ticket pricing last week. They've got several levels of involvement starting at $5,000 per ticket and down to general admission, which that price has not been announced right now. They're selling the $5,000 to $1,000 uh, suites and tickets, but we'll have a general admission ticket price as well. Dr. Heather Brown with us this morning from the MTSU School of Concrete. So a $5,000 ticket, that's that's kind of 
pricey. That's, well, that includes a hotel, all you can eat, backstage pass, meet the drivers. That's your creme de la creme package. <laughs> $1,000, not a bad price to be able to go to all the events and, and get some backstage passes as well. So, so that's where we're starting, and then we'll have general admission pricing out any day. And how many days will this event fall over into? Is it just one day, two days? So three day total, six through the eighth, with the race culminating the end of it on the eighth. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this, the racers are already, I guess the lineup is already named or is it? It is actually. And so the race is on their schedule uh, because of the way things went this year. They've had a a reduced schedule of races. So everybody's looking for 2021 to be uh, really a great turning event for them. Nashville, the mayor was there at the press conference and he also said the same, you know, by August of next summer, uh, let's let's hope this is a the start of a new normal and the race can be a great uh, place to to bring Nashville back to life. I, I think I actually got a, a press release email about this yesterday or the day before. It said something about Keith Urban as well. Yes, and so we're going to have several concerts uh, alongside the race. Um, so there's some already some top name stars being announced. Well, it's interesting. He he is an avid car collector and mm-hmm. he's got quite a few fairly fast cars. Doesn't have an Indy car, but some pretty cool cars That's it. yeah sure. i can imagine just the types of personalities that will show up at this race and i think just the general public is really enjoying something so unique nashville's in a great spot to to really shine for the world we've never had anything like this not at all not i, I at guess all. the closest thing to it would be well it'd be at the old speedway that right. was on eight four off of eight forty that closed down i guess a year or so ago mm-hmm. well more than that now it has been uh but that's that's the closest thing we really had to it other than the uh the the nashville flea market area that's right yeah i think that it was mentioned by the drivers that were there that streetcars are just for both drivers and fans kind of the new way to bring a race to a town and so the seasoned you know laguna beach or uh, long beach california those are races that have been around 40 plus years and nashville's really hoping that this sticks the same the same the same way there are so many video games out there based on laguna beach so i wonder if there's going to be video games out there you know with nashville featuring nashville what a yeah what a great that's a great plan they they could have uh, mtsu signs in there everywhere that's right they're going to hire our students next summer to help build the track so we're going to have an ongoing research partnership and then next summer we'll actually have some interns um, working for them as well and it's called the music city grand prix music city grand prix and is mtsu's logo going to be in that main you know whatever they introduce everything probably a couple different places but the main place is on the barrier wall every 12 feet where a barrier touches we'll have our our logo on the barrier wall every 12 feet every 12 feet wow you can't really get that kind of publicity i know we're we're very excited about it that's awesome stuff so all of this coming up in august of 2021 and you're going to have i guess more information on it as we get closer and closer to it um, and it's pretty neat that MTSU students are going to play a role in, in actually helping with, I guess, organizing the direction of the race to some extent. To some extent. And we'll start making mixes actually in October. That barrier shows up from Europe in a couple of weeks. So we've got to get to work. Is there anywhere people can get, you know, a lot more information on this? I mean, does the MTSU website have details on it? Where, where can we go? So we can go to our homepage for um, our program, www.mtsu.edu backslash CCM. And then we have a Facebook page at MTSU CCM. And we'll be updating everything we're doing there on our Facebook site. And how is the School of Concrete doing right now? I mean, with COVID-19 and everything, I know... Some say construction has slowed down. Some say it's sped up. So what are we seeing? 
Uh, some of our companies are reporting record years. We're not seeing really a slowdown. Uh, our, all of our full-time employees that need jobs are getting jobs. The summer was a little unique for our interns. Uh, there was a lot of liability in companies hiring interns. So we did see a little slowdown on the internship placement because we do require our students to work 600 hours before they graduate. But with that said, the companies still need students. And so they're working part-time right now this fall. And then all of our graduates are getting placed. We're averaging about five offers per graduate. You know, it seems like with the School of Concrete, I always hear about people getting jobs directly after they graduate, and you don't hear that as much in some of the other industries, but with the School of Concrete, it seems like everybody gets a job. They really do, and we've been training both concrete professionals and construction management professionals for home building, commercial, electrical. So we've really diversified and really tried to meet the needs. And I think that's why our job placement is so high is that we're putting out a student that can do a lot of different, wear a lot of different hats. seems like a couple of years ago, a lot of students got jobs in the Florida area. Mm -hmm. Is that still true today or what area is, I don't know, utilizing MTSU concrete graduates the most? I'm glad you asked that because really we're the only program in the Southeast. So we really hope that other states uh, come grab our students and really they want them more than we can probably place them. Most of our students are from the Middle Tennessee area or an outlying part of Tennessee and tend to want to stay in this area. But I can offer in-state tuition to all nine southern states. The only two I can't offer is Florida and North Carolina. So you can come to MTSU for in-state tuition for the concrete program. And then our hope is that you go back and, and work for a company within that state. Florida is still hiring our graduates every year. I just had a student email me yesterday that's signing on for Tampa. Tampa, Orlando, the Panhandle, very popular markets for our students. Now, I know you said in construction, everything from home building to commercial building, but, you know, a lot of these kids are getting hired at really big corporations that do everything from prefab siding for homes to who knows what. I mean, there's just so much out there in concrete. There really is. It's, it's always very surprising to people that it's not just um, the truck that you see driving down the road. That's such a huge part of the equation. But we actually had a, an adage that every crane you see in Nashville, there's probably 15 concrete alumni and construction alumni behind that crane, meaning there's so many different roles for that one project that our alumni can step into from estimating, from manufacturing to sales. I have 20% of my graduates in technical sales. So there really is a lot of opportunity and, and concrete can take you anywhere. Again, Dr. Heather Brown with us this morning. The MTSU School of Concrete with the announcement of the Music City Grand Prix, which is coming up August of 2021. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Time right now is 8.42. You're tuned in to WGNS. Skies become mostly sunny here this afternoon, a high in the upper 70s. Winds out of the southeast around 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy skies alone near 50. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 52. Good morning. Traffic still moving uh, out here right now as we check it out live. 24 up by Harding Place as you head towards Nashville up through the construction zone there at Hickory Hollow Parkway. We've seen a couple of minor wrecks out here, but they've been pretty much just that. We've seen a lot of radar this morning as well. Hey, celebrate autumn at Obergallenberg during Oktoberfest, September 25th through November 1st. Check it out, obergallenberg.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic.
Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Online at tireworld.us. This is Peter Demas, and I invite your family to come and join our family back at Demas's restaurants. One of the things that we have always done is we have been very careful with the way that we sanitize our tables. We have mandatory hand-washing stations. Our employees are required to wear masks. We are just overall just being very careful with everything that we are doing and the way we handle food, the way we handle plates to ensure everybody's safety as they return and start enjoying the dining room experience again. Demas's Restaurants on Broad Street in Murfreesboro. For 80 years, Roscoe Brown has been the trusted name in heating, cooling, and plumbing for Middle Tennessee homeowners and businesses. Throughout the years, our number one goal has been to accurately assess your HVAC and plumbing systems. With four locations in Middle Tennessee, we provide 24-7 assistance by calling 1-888-MY-ROSCOE. Turn to the experts at Carrier and Roscoe Brown. People you know, a name you trust. RoscoeBrown.com. Roscoe Brown. RoscoeBrown.com. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's place to talk. News time right now, 844. You're tuned in to WGNS on this Monday morning, today the 21st of September. And with us now on the phone from MTSU or with MTSU, we've got Iljana. Uh, let me, June Iljana. I should have said the whole name there. June, I was just excited to say your last name and at least try to. Are you there? Yeah, I laughed down for you. <laughs> How are you this morning? I'm well, thank you very much. I'm actually with the U.S. Census Bureau, and we are working very closely with MTSU to make sure that we get a good count of our college population and the surrounding community. Yeah, I I should have specified. I said with MTSU, you are just helping out MTSU. And so with the U.S. Census Bureau, and you're with the Philadelphia office, it looks like, originally. Is that right? Um, I live in Tennessee, but I am assigned to the Philadelphia Regional Office, but I live in Hardin County, Tennessee. Okay, so what is going on with all of this, with the count that's going on right now with MTSU? And you say you're you're trying to get an accurate count of the college students, so tell us more about that. We are in the middle, at this point, of our uh, non-response follow-up operation we are counting everyone who didn't respond on their own. And I have to say, Williamson County did an amazing job in responding to the census. Uh, more than 78% of your population responded to the census on their own, and we're very grateful for that. But we're in the middle of following up with those that, that we didn't hear back from. So what in the world is it like doing a census count with COVID-19 going on? Because nobody's ever encountered that. Well, certainly it's challenging. We are experiencing many of the same issues that a lot of other organizations are experiencing, and it's multiplied by the fact that we actually have to go out to people's homes and knock on their doors, but we've taken great pains to make sure that everyone is protected. We are ensuring that all of our census takers receive really comprehensive training in personal safety and and protecting the public. They are all wearing masks and they are are provided with gloves. They'll knock on the door and step back feet or more and take uh, a person's responses that way. A census taker will never go into someone's home to gather their census information. So we feel that we are taking every step possible to make sure that the public and our census takers are safe. 
Again, with us this morning, June Iljana with the U.S. Census Bureau, and we're talking about how they're going about counting uh, not only college students, but everybody, you know, with COVID-19 going on and everything. You know, back in history, years and years and years ago, when everything was done by hand with the census, you had smallpox and things like that. And I guess those of today, the census workers of today, are kind of seeing what it was kind of like back then. We've been very fortunate in that COVID-19 actually coincided with the rollout of the first ever opportunity for everyone to respond to the census online, and the majority of people have chosen that option. It's certainly the way the census is done. It's made it easier for people to respond and a lot easier for the census to get the job done. So that was one benefit we saw out of it. But you know, counting every single person in the United States as required by our Constitution is a pretty big lift, and uh, we definitely rely so much on our community members to take the initiative to go online and respond or, or call the census phone number and provide their information that way or mail back their form. Your phone is kind of breaking up a little bit, but folks can learn more information at my2020census.gov, and there they'll be able to follow all the proper instructions if they want to complete the census questionnaire online. Uh, but this is this is going to be an interesting count. And I'm curious, are you seeing a better feedback because of COVID-19 and more people being at home? Or is it less of a feedback? Well, from what I understand, the response to the census this time has been about what we expected it to be. So we think we're, we're really on track with where we thought we would be despite covid um, that isn't by chance. I mean, we've put in a lot of additional effort to make sure that that happens, hiring more people than originally anticipated and, um, you know, just working harder and putting more money into, you know, getting the word out. While the census count is done, I guess, what, every 10 years? Is that right? That's right. It's done every 10 years. And as I'm sure you know, it's required in our Constitution that we count every single person. And those uh, numbers are used to assign representation in our federal government and draw local voting district boundaries and to allocate federal funding back to states and communities based on their population. So while it's done every 10 years, of course, there is a census office that is open year round. There's workers who are, you know, working year round on census numbers and preparing the future census counts. And there's just all kinds of work that revolves around the U.S. Census, isn't there? That's right. We have ongoing operations. In addition to preparing for the decennial or every 10-year census, we have ongoing census operations such as the American Community Survey. So we are surveying about 3% of the population at any given time with much more in-depth questions. And then we have business-related surveys that we do and healthcare-related surveys and many others. So there's a, a lot of work going on with the census all the time. How in the world do you count MTSU students and students at other universities when they may only be living in a town for a short period of time? The important thing to know about counting college students is that we need to count them where they live most of the time. And it is complicated by the fact that a lot of college students live in a dormitory setting, and that, that's the easy part. Those uh, students are counted by, by the college itself. But the students who live off campus are a little bit more challenging for us, because we, if, especially in this COVID-19 year, because they left campus to go back to their homes. 
and we need to count them where they normally would be at this time. So we need to count them in the community where they live, uh, where they're going to school. So getting that message out has been uh, a big effort. Now, there is more than $1 trillion in federal funds that I guess is available depending on how many residents are in each city that's counted and then how they go about spreading that out, I don't know, but you're talking about $1 trillion plus dollars. So therefore, Murfreesboro could literally receive millions of dollars more each year, depending on the census numbers. You're right. It makes such a big difference to the community. Those funds are used to pay for things that everybody uses, like roads and health care, public safety, education. So getting those numbers correct is really important and and it really you know the community will receive a certain amount of money directly to fund services that's based to the person on their census count so it couldn't be more critical to planning for and providing services in the future how many seniors you have in your community for instance will impact decisions like providing um, senior centers and mobile food vans and that kind of thing so it matters to every single person Now, I know census workers are going door-to-door in different neighborhoods, but how do they handle apartment complexes? That apartment complexes are a door-to-door situation as well, but group living facilities like college dorms and like um, like long-term care facilities where people all live together under one administrator, that organization or that uh, living situation will count all of those people and provide the information, including their names and and ages and the the normal questions. They'll provide that information back to the Census Bureau. And that operation is complete. We've done all of our group quarters counting. You know, while a group exodus out of a city where, you know, thousands of people move to another city over a 10-year period is not something that happens all the time, but it definitely does happen and has in years past. For example, when the coal mines started shutting down in places like Virginia, uh, you would see thousands of people move out of that area in a very short period of time, but yet the city still has the same number listed within the Census Bureau. So how do you go about, you know, working with numbers that fluctuate? Yeah, it, well, the bigger issue for us is the the city that's receiving all of those people or the communities that are receiving all the people who are moving out because they need to have proper funding to actually provide adequate services for those people. So there is a way that a community that is rapidly growing can uh, get a recount. Essentially, they can actually fund and and conduct a certified uh, census of their own in between the 10-year periods just to ensure that they are adequately counted and that they receive the the services they need. Do you still see rapid deductions of people in cities because of things like coal mines shutting down whenever that occurred a number of years back? Do you still see that, though, in some cities today? Well, I'm not personally familiar with data on that, but I would assume that to be the case because our communities are changing all the time. That's why one census Uh, you know, won't do over the long term. That's why we have to conduct the census on a regular basis. But certainly we see things changing. In Middle Tennessee, we see things changing all of the time. And and another situation that you might be aware of is when there's something like a tornado that wipes out a a large part of a community and and temporarily displaces people. It's important, um, knowing that that community is rebuilding, that we 
do our best to, to count the people where they normally would be. Well, just that is something that's happening in Cookville, Tennessee, for one, because yes. of the tornado that occurred occurred this year, earlier this year. So how, how are you working with counting those who live there? Because it's got to be a big change. Yes, we have done some really special effort outreach in those communities. It's been in around the Chattanooga area, around Cookville. We've had in Nashville. Um, in some in the western part of the state where natural disasters have displaced people. So we've worked with the local community leaders, certainly, as well as the local media to try to get the word to these folks that if they plan to return to their home, you know, quickly, then uh, they should be counted. Now, you know, Census Day was April 1st. So wherever you were um, living or supposed to be living on April 1st is where you would, would be counted. So we're trying to get that message out to every single person. So that is going to be true even if you have moved over the last couple of months? Yes. When you respond to the census today, for instance, and you still have time to do it, so I encourage everyone to please do, but when you respond to the census, you're answering for yourself where you were living and where everyone who was living with you as of April 1st, because uh, that is it's the day we have to peg it as of, as of one certain day, and so that's the day. Okay, so April 1st, and the actual deadline for the numbers is what? Are, are you there still? What What is Hi. the deadline? Sorry, I'm, tr- I'm trying to hear you. So what is the deadline of the census? Well, it is, as of right now, we are, you know, considering the, the deadline to be September 30th. There's I'm sure you know litigation going on right now, but we are working hard toward meeting our goal of September 30th at the moment. All right. Sounds good. Again, with us this morning, June Iljana from the U.S. Census Bureau. And uh, again, working hard right now on those numbers, making sure everything is correct. Thank you for joining us. Scott, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to get this information out. Your community has been amazing. The leadership in your community has worked very hard to get the census done properly and accurately, and we are very grateful for all of that support. Sounds good. Well, let us know the uh, final results, of course. Uh, we will. We, we expect to provide the final results to the president at the end of the year and meet our statutory deadline to provide information back to our local communities, back to our states um, in April. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Time right now, eight fifty-seven. Yeah, no problem. Eight fifty-seven is the time. You're tuned in to WGNS, and that's going to do it for this morning's Action Line. You'll be able to hear all these shows online. WGNSRadio.com. All the interviews we just did. Just go to WGNSRadio.com, and then you'll see them under our podcast section. Again, WGNSRadio.com. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's Place to Talk.